Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jimmy. And we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. Hello, Beth. Hello, Jimmy. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Good. We've got a sad one to cover today, haven't we? I know, I know. But as we've said before, such a pinnacle event, really, wasn't it, of the 90s? You had to cover it. Had in to any cover 90s it. show, you have to you have to talk about it. Yeah. And the lady in question has various titles, but to me, she'll always be Princess Diana. Yes, she will be. Do you remember when you were told about her passing? Yes, yeah. Mum came up and said, oh, Diana had died, so it was straight down to the watch the television, watch the coverage, and just the pure shock. Yeah, I remember the same. My mum, I was actually in bed. I'd been out the night before, and my mum came into the room and woke me up quite early. Yes, yeah. And said, yeah. you're right. And it was really unusual. Yeah. And I knew something was up, and she, so I was sort of half groggy. She said, Princess Diana's died this morning. And I was, I could not believe it. Yeah. It was such a shock. And if you think about it, and this is fairly shocking too, she was younger than yeah. we are now. Yes. But when you think of her and how long she was around and stuff, it felt like she was around much, much longer than she was. But she was she was incredibly yeah, young. So young. So we're going to talk about Princess Diana today. It's not going to be as joyful as some of the episodes we cover, but we're going to treat you with respect and we hope you enjoy the conversation with us. And and hopefully our listeners will learn something new about her early life, maybe that they wouldn't know already, and the fact that elements of her life were happy, you know, mm. her two boys, which we'll obviously cover later. So, yes. Great stuff. Okay, we're going into it. So for now, let's... Rewind to the 90s. Diana Frances Spencer was born on the 1st of July 1961 at Parkhouse, Sandringham. She was the fourth of five children of John and Frances Spencer. Although there were five children, her brother John died shortly after his birth, one year before Diana was born. The two older siblings were both girls, so her parents had very much hoped that they would be delivered a boy to continue the family name. It was a difficult time for the marriage of her parents, and Diana's mother had been sent to Harley Street Clinics in London to determine the cause of the problem in inverted commas funny isn't it so in those days it's so important about the the heir isn't it the boy but to have gone to harley street for problems why weren't they conceiving a boy but the fact that she was born in parkhouse sandringham yeah. tells you that they are a family of, of prestige and connection yes. so that is going to come up as we go through the story they did go on to have a boy charles and he later said that his parents divorce was probably rooted in the stress of their desire for a son the family did have royal connections, as we've talked about. Diana's grandmothers had served as lady-in-waiting to Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, and Diana herself grew up in Park House, which was on the Sandringham estate. The house was leased from Queen Elizabeth II, whom Diana called Aunt Lilibet, since childhood. The royal family frequently holidayed at the neighbouring Sandringham house, and Diana played with the Queen's sons, Prince Andrew and Prince Edward. And as we talked about earlier, Diana's parents divorced when she was seven. Diana spent a year with her mother, but after seeing her father during Christmas holidays, he wouldn't let her go home with her mother. He quickly won custody of Diana after his former mother-in-law supported his application. So Diana's mum's mum <laughs> agreed with, the, with the Diana's dad. dad rather than her own daughter. So both parents went on to remarry, but Diana didn't get on well with her new stepmother, who she referred to as a bully. It's reported that Diana once pushed her downstairs. No, I wasn't aware. So Diana became Lady Diana when her father inherited the title of Earl Spencer in 1975 and the family moved to Althorpe. 
After initially being homeschooled, Diana did eventually go to private schools, but didn't do brilliantly well academically. So she failed her O-levels, which were the GCSE equivalents. So she failed them twice. But she did do well musically as a pianist and also did well with swimming, diving, ballet and tap dance. In 1978, she worked for three months as a nanny and had one term at a finishing school in Switzerland and then returned to London, where she lived in her mother's flat with two friends. Finishing school. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now my vision of the finishing school is when you, the lady, the girls had to walk with a book on their That's head. That's exactly yes. what I have in my head, yeah. <laughs> so she did a cooking course and a number of jobs, such as dance instructor, cleaner, a hostess at parties, and preschool assistant. When she was 18, her mother bought her a flat at Colherne Court in Earl's Court as an 18th birthday present. And she stayed there with three flatmates until 1981. Can you imagine 18th birthday being bought a flat in Earl's Court? In Earl's Court, wow. And, the, and then they're the, the fun parts of her life that you have to remember in the early part, living with two friends, going about her business, doing all those different jobs. She loved children, didn't she? So she worked as a teaching assistant. She did. So there's an interesting point about how Charles and Diana actually first met. Mm. Diana was 16 and Charles was 29 and he was dating Diana's older sister, Sarah. Yes, yeah. So three years later, Charles and Diana were both guests at a country weekend and Charles began to grow an interest in the now 19-year-old Diana. He began inviting her away with him to a yachting weekend and to Balmoral Castle to meet the family. And by all accounts, she met most of them before. She played with some of them when she was a child. Yeah, and especially the Queen Mother would have remembered Diana's family like being ladies-in-waiting mm. connections there. But with her charm and obviously her beauty, she did go down very well with the family and Charles and Diana's relationship started to become a bit more serious. He proposed to her in February 1981 after the pair had just 12 dates. That yeah. isn't many dates, is it? No, it's not. With the passage of time, we've learned some of the other relationships yeah. that were going on with Charles at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem a great deal of dates to, upon which to build the foundation of a long-term marriage, does it? No, it doesn't. So Diana gave up her job as a nursery teacher's assistant and moved into royal residence, initially Clarence House, but then Buckingham Palace until the wedding. It was during this period that Diana first felt the loneliness that would go on to become a common theme throughout her marriage. You can understand that. She's gone from a flat, a sort of a house share with her friends to then being in Buckingham Palace, getting ready for this royal wedding and just being on her own. I guess if she's in the house with her friends, there's an air of informality. Yes. Yeah. And then she goes into Buckingham Palace preparing for the wedding and suddenly the most stringent yeah. structure of formality you could ever imagine. And scary for a young woman. Yeah. So there was an interview they did after the engagement that was especially awkward. And you remember mm. this, Beth. So a journalist said to the couple, you both look very much in love. And Diana replied, oh, yes, absolutely. Charles then responded with, whatever in love means. And there was a bit of an awkward silence. That was so cringy, that interview, though, wasn't it? It was. It was just so awkward. And even then, I guess, looking back... You know, yeah. But would we have known at the time? We were were obviously too young, but I I don't know if anyone else would have picked up on that or whether they would have put it down to the eccentricities of Charles. Yeah, we would have done. Diana became the Princess of Wales, marrying Charles at St Paul's Cathedral in July 1981 at the age of just 20. Photos from the wedding became synonymous with the fairy tale weddings that many little girls grew up dreaming about. Three quarters of a billion people watched on television, while 600,000 people lined the streets to see the couple on the way to the wedding. 
In a sign of Diana's more modern attitude than perhaps the royal family were used to, she didn't say she would obey him. I like that. <laughs> well done, Diana. Diana's first pregnancy was announced in November 1981. Twelve weeks into the pregnancy, Diana fell down the staircase, but thankfully the baby was not harmed. It later transpired that Diana had deliberately thrown herself down the staircase as she felt inadequate. In our lives now, there's so much more awareness of mental health issues. Yes. At that time, it would have been scared on with it, especially within that environment. Yes, definitely. So I guess it just adds into that loneliness that mm. she felt there was no one there she could reach out to at that time. No, no. In June 1982, Diana gave birth to Prince William and a second son, Prince Harry, was born on the 15th of September 1984. And she took a really non-royal approach to motherhood. She raised the children herself, dismissing a royal nanny and choosing names, schools and clothing all herself. Much like a, a normal mum, oh, yeah. if you can say that. Yeah. She did the school run as much as she could and she managed her royal responsibilities around the children's schedule. Can I just backtrack a bit of playing to fame that your mother always tells us about? My brother was born in the same hospital that Prince William was born in, two weeks in between the two births. Yes. And their birth certificate was signed off by the same registrar. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, that's cool. Got a claim to fame there? It's, it's a loose one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think your mum and uh, Diana would have had completely different birth experiences. Though, I, I would can suggest imagine. <laughs> that might be the case. So something that brought Diana into the public's affections was the tireless commitment she showed to various charitable causes – Hundreds of official visits every year. She broke down barriers and tackled illnesses that were stigmatised, such as AIDS and leprosy. She was the president of Great Ormond Street Hospital and Bernardo's. She was the patron of British Red Cross, Headway, Chester Childbirth Appeal and Child Bereavement UK. She spent time comforting severely ill and dying patients. And she was actually the first British royal to make physical contact with AIDS patients. And that was massive at the time. It was. And there's that iconic news feature with her sitting with the AIDS victims, touching their arms. Mm. But even non-royals were sceptical of doing yes. that at the yeah. time. So for, for her to do it was huge. Mm. But the Queen was not enamoured with this and suggested Diana should get involved with something more pleasant. We could spend a whole podcast talking about the work she did for so many charities and patients, but it was this caring, humane side of her that really endeared her and warned her to the British people. Mm. Things seem to be all right at this point, right? Wrong. Beth pulled a really unusual face there. <laughs> so in 1986, Diana began seeing Major James Hewitt and Charles picked up again with a former girlfriend, Camilla Parker Bowles. There's been a lot of speculation over the years that Hewitt was actually Harry's real father due to the similarity in looks. But this has widely been denied and the dates we have, if true, they, they don't work out. There were also rumours Diana had an affair with Barry Manneke, her bodyguard, between 1984 and 1986. Though this had been denied, he was transferred to the Diplomatic Protection Squad in 1986 after his managers had determined that his relationship with Diana had been inappropriate. And that they would have probably come under pressure from someone else who noticed yeah. that relationship yeah. getting a bit too close. Too friendly. The media had picked up on the coldness between Charles and Diana and it was clear the fairy tale relationship was no longer a fairy tale. Diana was beginning to grow confidence to go against the unwritten rules of the family. In 1989, there was a function at which Diana confronted Camilla about the affair she was having with Charles. By 1992, Andrew Morton's book had been released. Diana, her true story, was nothing like anything that had ever been seen before. With the salacious tales of affairs and suicidal thoughts, Diana laid bare her unhappiness for the public to read, and read it they did. Diana and Morton both continually denied she had input into the book, saying the stories had come from family and friends. 
However, it was later revealed that Diana did provide the content. And maybe that was her way of getting her own story out amid the stifling culture of the royal family. Yeah, because it was it was her because family and friends, she could so easily have got involved. She had people around her that could help her find Morton, find someone who could write this, her story. This is just so fascinating. So back in the day, ham radio enthusiasts, they were able to listen into phone calls. Well, 70-year-old Cyril Renan managed to hit the jackpot and he tapped into a call where Diana was pouring her heart out to her friend, James Gilby. Cyril then sold the tapes to The Sun and they had an absolute field day splashing the story across their paper. A couple of months later, tapes between Charles and Camilla also hit the Sunday Mirror. Recorded in 1989, they were described as phone sex, but um, in one part, Charles expressed his wish to be a tampon in a bid to be closer to Camilla. That is rank. That's the king. (laughs) But it's also shocking that people wanted to try and do that. So ham radio enthusiasts were able to listen on phone calls. So they're they're the initial phone hackers. Kind of like peeping toms, aren't they? Yeah. But these tapes were the final straw for the marriage and in December 1992, Prime Minister John Major announced a couple's amicable separation. Now, if we got divorced, Beth, do you think the uh, Rishi would be uh, announcing that for us? No, no. (laughs) There were all sorts of insinuations and accusations in the year that followed and in October 93, Diana wrote to her butler saying she believed she was going to be killed so that Charles could marry his personal assistant Tiggy leg bork. Charles went on the offensive in terms of trying to win public understanding. He wasn't as popular with the public as Diana was. Not many a, people were, no, to be fair. They weren't. <laughs> and in an attempt to address that, he took part in a televised interview with Jonathan Dimbleby. He claimed he'd only got back with Camilla after his marriage had broken down. The year after, Diana's affair with James Hewitt was made public, with Hewitt himself revealing all. While this was going on, Diana appears to have been in a relationship with married art dealer Oliver Hoare, although she denied this. Rumours also circled around relationships with England rugby union captain Will Carling and private investigator Theodore J. Forstman. Then came Diana's interview with Martin Brashear on the BBC. This interview became incredibly famous as she discussed the affairs of her and Charles. She said, well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit clouded. She also expressed doubt over Charles' suitability to be king. She talked about her depression, bulimia and self-harming. Now, I remember the controversy that surrounded this interview. And what's really interesting is she actually did hers after Charles did his. But I never remember that looking back. It was always like, oh, Diana went to the press. But actually, Charles had done that first. Yeah, he did the television interview after her book. She'd Mm. done the book. He then did the first television interview. But she'd actually been tricked into giving that interview, as has become famous yes, now from yeah. the Crown and various other sources. Bashir had used forged bank statements to show Diana that people close to her were being paid to spy on her. Regardless of that, enough was enough. The Queen, who had long held hope of the couple reviving their marriage, she sent letters to both of them advising them to divorce. They agreed, Charles straight away and Diana after negotiations with Charles and the Queen's representatives. Amusingly, the royals were annoyed as Diana released her own statement about the divorce, so they wanted to manage it all centrally, but she was a bit renegade and thought, no, I'm not not going to follow the rule. Just before this, Diana had made the accession that Tiggy Legbork had aborted Charles's baby. Tiggy was furious and got her solicitor involved. 
It seems that Diana had been fed that false rumour by Martin Bashir as he worked on building his relationship with her to get the interview. And he comes across really badly in retrospect because at he the time now. he was a bit of a hero. He did the yeah. um, interviews with the Stephen Lawrence killers, for example. Yes. And he took them to task on that. Mm. And I think mm. interviews like that, he became the go-to guy for those big interviews. Yes, yeah. But when you look back now, actually, the... Well, he's been disgraced now. He's been he? disgraced. So the divorce was granted and Diana received £17 million and a commitment of £400,000 per year. They shared custody of the children. She lost the title of Her Royal Highness and became known as Diana, Princess of Wales. Prince William was reported to have reassured his mother, Don't worry, Mummy, I will give it back to you one day when I am king. Oh, Prince William's in there. Yeah, he promised his mum he'd give her the title back when he became king. That's such a child thing to say it to your mum, is, isn't it? it is. Well, but apart from the bit about being king one day, which yeah. most, most children but don't also, say. Also, that's very poignant now. I didn't know mm. that, and that's poignant now, because they'll never get to do that. No, but it is sweet. It is sweet. It is lovely. If the months after the divorce weren't the happiest of Diana's life, they were certainly better than she'd had for a while. She was close friends with the likes of Elton John, Freddie Mercury, Liza Minnelli, George Michael, Michael Jackson, and Gianni Versace. That's quite a circle. It is quite a circle. She was in a relationship with a heart surgeon, Hasnet Khan, who many of her friends thought was the love of her life. She even visited her his fam she even visited his family while on a trip to Lahore in Pakistan. The relationship lasted two years, and it isn't clear why it ended and who ended it. Mm. Within a month, Diana had started to see Dodi Fayyad. Dodi Fayyad was an Egyptian film producer and the son of billionaire Mohammed Al Fayyad who owned Harrods and Fulham Football Club. Dodi had been married before and was also engaged at the time to American model Kelly Fisher when he fell for Diana. Dodi's father had invited Diana and her sons to go yachting in the south of France. This takes us to the most tragic part of Diana's incredible story. So after they'd become closer, on Saturday the 30th of August 1997, Princess Diana left Sardinia on a private jet and arrived in Paris with Dodi. They had stopped there en route to London, having spent nine days together on board Mohammed's yacht. The intention was to spend the night at the Ritz Hotel, which Mohammed owned. The deputy head of security at the hotel was a man named Henry Paul. He'd been told to drive the black Mercedes-Benz with Diana and Dodie out of the hotel's rear entrance, while a decoy vehicle was sent out the front to confuse the paparazzi. In the car with Henry Paul, Diana and Dodie was Trevor Reese jones part of the Fayette family's protection team. None of the people in the car were wearing seatbelts. Paul lost control of the car at the entrance to the underpass and witnesses said photographers on motorbikes had been around the car before it entered the tunnel. The car struck a white Fiat, swerved to the left and collided with a pillar that supported the roof. The car had been travelling at 65 miles per hour with the speed limit being less than half of that. The car spun, hit the wall and came to a stop. There was smoke. The photographers were behind the car and while some tried to help, Others just took picture for the 10 minutes until police and ambulance arrived. That's the bit that's just... And if you think now it would probably be worse with everyone having phones and mm. in, in, in a more common way than it would have been at the time. Yeah. Dodie, Fayed and Henry Paul were both pronounced dead at the scene. Rhys Jones sustained multiple serious facial injuries and a head contusion, but he was still conscious. Diana was critically injured but conscious. She was sedated and removed from the car before going into cardiac arrest but her heart started beating again after being resuscitated. She was moved to the ambulance and taken to hospital. Diana died a couple of hours after arriving to the hospital. 
She was 36 years old. Heartbreakingly, Charles had to wake his sons up to tell them what had happened to their mother. William was 15 and Harry was 12 when she died. A news conference was held at the hospital three hours later where the world were told of Diana's death. More than one million bouquets were left at her London residence, Kensington Palace. The pile of flowers became five feet deep in places. The grief of the nation was palpable and frankly incredible. Her funeral took place at Westminster Abbey and there were about three million mourners and onlookers in London alone. People from around the world attended and her friend Elton John performed Candle in the Wind, the lyrics of which he'd rewritten in dedication to Diana. And that single became the best-selling single since the single charts began in in the 1950s. The funeral procession is burnt into my memory. Five figures walking behind the coffin. Philip on the right, Charles on the left and Earl Spencer in the middle. Between them, William and Harry, with the world watching as they took their last journey with their mother. And you look at everything that's happened since, and that must have had such an impact on them at that time. Mm -hmm. It has to have contributed to some of the things that have gone on since that time. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, us saying about Diana being so young, the boys were so young, you know, William and Harry. As I I can picture their little faces going on and just following tradition. When really all they should have done is been screaming and crying and everything else that you do in that situation. And I can only imagine what that must be like. Diana's brother, Earl Spencer, was applauded for the speech in which he criticised the press and indirectly the royal family for their treatment of Diana. The funeral was watched by 31.5 million people in Britain and it is believed it was watched by 2.5 billion around the world. There was a lot of criticism about the time about how the royal family handled it. So they stuck very close to protocol. They didn't fly flags at half-mast because of the role she was in at the time. It didn't come across great. And I imagine at the time it's very, very hard for the people making those decisions on, on what to do. But to me, it feels a little cold. What, what, what are your views on it, Beth? They, they already knew how popular she was. And whether they liked it or not, she was liked more than a lot of them were. See, there but, was an argument that they were trying to protect the boys to some degree and the actions but, they took were in that regard. But how does that protect the boys not flying the flags? Fla- yeah, that's what I mean. That, that, no, nothing, to do, nothing to do with the boys. I, I think it was just, they, well, they got it wrong. They got it so wrong. She was loved by the nation and they're supposed to be the pillar of the nation so they should have shown a little bit more. I think it was very disrespectful. I think the press have a lot to answer for. So they harassed Diana through her life. And obviously she used the press at times as well, but they harassed her through her life. But they switched to becoming her biggest cheerleader after her death. Mm. Not everybody thought the death was a tragic accident. There were conspiracy theories that were fueled by some of the circumstances of the event. Indeed, Muhammad al-Fayed was one of those who believed in that conspiracy. The driver, Henry Paul, was three and a half times over the legal limit for alcohol. Mohammed Al-Fayed claimed that MI6 conducted a covert operation to have Diana's car crash and that Henry Paul, the driver of the car, was an informant for the security services. Suspicious funds in Henry's bank account, along with testimony from Richard Tomlinson, a former MI6 officer, suggested that Henry was on MI6's payroll. As for the alcohol level in Henry's blood, conspiracy theories have suggested the sample was taken from a suicide victim and not Henry. They believed Henry was sober that night. There was also an unsubstantiated rumour that Diana was pregnant and Dodie was about to propose. Nothing has been proven and it would be wrong to speculate on here without the detailed knowledge. But what we do know is that aged 36, Diana died and left her two sons and a legacy that remains to this day. 
And it's so strange for us to finish a story from the 90s like that. Yeah. To finish it in the 90s. Most of the stories we've done will go on to talk about what happened to them after, Mm. what they went on to do to achieve or to some of the bad things that happened to them. But for this one, it it stops right there. And obviously you've got other things that have happened in culture and society since. So we talk about William and Harry and the relationship that they've got, the strain Mm. at times relationship that they've got the relationship they had with their father, mm-hmm. how the royal family then went on to try and modernise a bit yes. after the, the events yeah. that had occurred. And in some ways, accept some criticism about the way that they handled the whole affair at the time. And make relevant changes. And, and make learn the relevant from changes. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got The Crown. Yes. Which mm-hmm. you're a, a big fan of. I'm a big fan of, but I do have to remind myself that it is fiction. and It's fiction. faction. Faction, yeah. And for anyone, any of our listeners who have watched The Crown recently that have covered this part of the royal family, there's so many things that I can, oh, but this, but that, oh, but that. Mm. But you have to remember you don't know what bits are, are true and what bits are, are made up. But at the end of the day, it is a sad story, but it's a sad story right from the beginning because the Queen chose Diana because she would be the perfect wife for Charles. Mm, the fairy tale. The fairy tale. The fairy tale. And she wanted it to work. But Charles, Charles didn't. didn't. Charles didn't feel like that. And one thing I have learned over the years as I've got older is I do feel a bit sorry for Charles at that time to See, be forced I don't. to marry someone that he didn't love. See, I don't. I but don't. It's Charles. I do blame him. When you say forced to marry... You look at how Diana did her own thing and Harry has gone on to do her own thing, which really, in his mother's spirit, Charles wasn't strong enough to stand up. He wanted that. He he wanted it. And now, as we look now, he ended up getting what he wanted all the way along, which was to be king. Now, obviously, there's a lot that's happened. And as Mm. we grow older, we know we look back at things we did when we were younger, ways that we acted and decisions we made. And in retrospect, we go back and change them. So we obviously don't have that opportunity. So I'm not making a judgment on him now. That's for others to do. Mm. But I personally think he is responsible for the unhappiness that he went on to have in that marriage. He knew he didn't love Diana in the way that he loved Camilla. And he obviously had other relationships as well. Mm. And someone said to him, this this is the path you should take. And he said, okay. Now, for someone who's as strong-minded as Charles has proven mm. to be over the years that followed, it seems odd. But maybe yeah. maybe that confidence came later in his life. Maybe. So that's the story of Princess Diana. As I said, I will always remember her as Princess Diana and not yes. any of the other titles. Yeah. Um, an amazing lady who changed the face of the royal family in many, many ways, both before and after her death. Mm. And in a positive way as well. Absolutely. As we to remember. And was so loving to her two boys. Mm. Really difficult subject for us to talk about today and we hope you've enjoyed the episode reflecting on the life of Princess Diana. We'll be back next week with another episode. We hope you can join us then. Until then, talk talk to to the the hands. hands.